a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. In today's episode of First Lady and Friends, we have Becky Pickle, who is an incredible, remarkable entrepreneur. She does work in the LGBTQ community. She is also involved in homelessness. She's the chair of The Road Home, and she is also a foster mom. So let's get proximate. Welcome to First Lady and Friends. This episode, we have uh, someone that I have known for a while, um, and somehow our lives have intersected in the most interesting and wonderful ways. Uh, her name is Becky Pickle. Welcome to the show, Becky. Thank you. So excited and a little terrified to be here. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Here, here we go. <laughs> um, so... Becky, just tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up, tell a little bit about your family. Sure. I grew up in Taylorsville, um, good old T-ville, and uh, grew up in a family of six kids and married to a very handsome firefighter, Scott, who works for UFA and is an engineer for UFA. And um, we have three incredible kids. Our oldest, Riley, is currently working on her master's and our second Ashley is at the U doing her undergrad and our baby, our very large baby Kyler is um, still in high school and plays football and is just the best kid ever. So we're very lucky. And is he, where, what grade is he in? He is going into his senior year. Oh, so this is, this is it. <laughs> this, this is, is it. it. <laughs> oh. Pass the tissues. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So tell me about your family of origin where, so you grew up in Taylorsville mm-hmm. and a big family, a small family. Yeah. A big family. So five siblings, um, an older sister and four younger brothers. So a very loud home all the time. Um, both of my parents are musicians, and then my father is also an accountant and a, a controller for a company. And our house was just filled with music all day, every day, sometimes annoyingly so. But but we joke that our family is like a walking musical. So someone's breaking out into some sort of obnoxious song at every moment, and it makes things really fun. And... Uh, as we all started dating and, and meeting our different partners, um, it also was somewhat embarrassing. So, <laughs> yeah. I think my dad always fancied us the next Osmonds, which we were oh. not, <laughs> obviously. But yeah, yeah, we were, my family just, it was all about music. And now my kids are super opinionated about music. Mm-hmm. Somebody said that. I think it was Kirsten. She said, you guys are so opinionated about music. And then I had to stop and like, Oh, I guess we kind of are. <laughs> Listen, it's a gift. We're, we're just here to serve the world with our opinions, right? That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah. When my husband met our family, um, I was pretty anxious with four pretty, you know, I call them fun little brothers. But uh, when we left, he just was a little bit shocked, I think, at the 
level of excitement happening at all times and said, wow, your brothers are weird. (laughs) And I, of course, immediately started bawling and said, they're not weird. They're creative. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we like to say is we're a very creative group of people. (laughs) That is perfect. I grew up with a whole bunch of sisters, so we didn't have little brothers, but we were probably weird, too. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> weird is cool. It's the new cool. Oh, it's the <laughs> so you're what you uh, do in your in your daytime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you're obviously an incredible mother, first and foremost, mm-hmm. and, and you have a, just a, a wonderful family. Um, but you're also an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your journey as a as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, I, you know, I always say that my favorite title is mom, um, which that is certainly true, but I think that, um, there are other parts of me that drive, um, my day to day and keep me fulfilled as a human being. And certainly being an entrepreneur is one of those. And, um, I, uh, own and operate Chick-fil-A restaurants and um, really enjoy that. I've been with Chick-fil-A for 27 years and um, love, love, love what I do and love getting to leverage my business as a vehicle to help our community and, and, you know, find solutions and really, really enjoy growing the future leaders of our community. That is very, very special and um, such an honor to be part of people's stories as they navigate high school and college and newlyweds and first babies. And um, it's just something that I'm really thankful for. Well, I follow you, obviously, on social media, and I am always so impressed with you. You said your first title is mother, and it feels like you're a mother to about every employee that you have. Is that is that how you feel? Yes, my chicken babies. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, yes. I you know, we have such a lovely, diverse group of people, um, about two hundred and forty people that I, I am lucky enough to employ and you know, ranging in ranging in ages from sixteen to eighty. And um, I certainly think that I get to have uh, an important role in their lives. And um, I think that's what's led me to a lot of the nonprofit work that I do is what I hear from my employees, that the needs that they have, the fears they have, the obstacles they face. And and so, you know, when I think of being a mother, I think of a mom or a parent as an advocate we are our children's strongest advocate and whatever they need, we really enjoy helping them find solutions and sharing their talents and growing their skill set. And, and so I certainly think that I get to do that for my team, of course, my chicken babies. <laughs> I think that's incredible. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your business and how things I know that business owners have had some real struggles during um, this past year and a half. Talk a little bit about how how business was before, during, and hopefully Mm (laughs) post-pandemic. How are things going? You know, things are hard. Um, It is a very challenging and um, 
interesting atmosphere. Um, I think, especially in my industry, in the restaurant industry, during the pandemic, you know, things have been changing so rapidly and the the burden on our team to be innovative around the challenges that we experience has been um, just, you know, really hard, but also really exciting when we figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's grown our team. It's grown our confidence. It's grown new leaders. People have risen up that maybe um, are now having skill sets that they didn't before because it's really forced all of us to flex some muscles that maybe we didn't know were there or maybe we hadn't used in a while. And so I like to think on the bright side of things. It's been a little challenging, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> you know, there is going to be um, a lot of opportunity moving forward to utilize these new ideas that we found in situations that were really not ideal. And so um, that's something that I'm, of course, very thankful for. The flip side of that, I think, is the level of stress that everyone in our community is feeling. And um, that's also been interesting to see the way um, just some people um, feel like they need to express some of their frustrations on other human beings that that maybe can't really do a whole lot about what they're upset about. And um, my desire to protect my team and make sure that um, they're not having to experience a lot of that um, is a big one. Um, And again, it's been really challenging. I think that just a lot of people are hurting. And um, so while I wish I could give everyone a hug, I can't. And um, really, I've just been focused on protecting my team. So, wow. I think you hit on some really incredible points. You know, we've talked a lot on this show about um, empathy. Mm. And I think also you are showing your team um, that empathy and, and really some grace that you're talking about. Because <laughs> there are some, um, some folks that maybe you feel the vitriol coming your way. Um, and, you know, how do you teach your kids to, mm-hmm. to, to handle that mm-hmm. um, without getting bitter and sucked into that that negativity themselves. So mm-hmm. it's, um, I think you're doing an incredible job of really helping children out and and all your everybody out, not just not just the kiddos. I mean, we talk about young people. We assume young people work in those that industry, but mm-hmm. but like you said, you have you have folks the a whole lot of spectrum. <laughs> yes. We we actually have a you know, I have a tremendous executive team and and a 42 person leadership team and and we have you know dozens of adults with their bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and and you know the restaurant industry is much more complex and fast moving than I think a lot of people realize or understand and and it's just such an honor to get to work with these people every day and and learn from them and I love how they challenge me and and um yeah so so really we're thankful that the last 18 months are the last 18 months and not in the future um but certainly we're doing our best to take the things that we've learned and and put our best foot forward and keep using those I think that's perfect. If um, if we don't come out of, as another guest said on the show, if we don't um, come out different than we went into this pandem- 
pandemic, we're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's perfect that you're talking about taking those lessons with us to, to be better. Um, we want to, you, you touched on this, uh, your work in nonprofit spaces, and I want to get to that when we come right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is Becky Pickle. We are so excited because we have had so many times to interact on things that we're both passionate about. And one of those things, and I keep finding more and more things, (laughs) which is really incredible. Um, You have been really involved in um, foster care. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. um, Certainly one of the highlights of my life. Um, We, you know, Scott and I had um, our girls, we had Riley and Ashley, and then we uh, lost three babies of our own after Ashley. And um, I kind of, well, not kind of, I did get to a point where I just knew that I could not handle that anymore. And, um, you know, while we had amazing doctors, it was really hard for them to fully understand what was happening and why our babies weren't surviving. And so, um, but we knew that we needed to continue adding to our family. And our neighbors had just adopted um, some really great kids uh, through uh, the Utah Faster Care um, Foundation. And we just decided to start going to those classes and, and learning about what it means to be a foster parent, what we may or may not experience. Um, and we made an agreement that if any of us either felt like we could not do it, that that was it. We would just stop taking the classes. And, and uh, thankfully, neither of us ever felt that way. And we stuck with it and, and finished all of our education um, and became foster parents and um, have really just been so lucky to love the most wonderful children. Um, And uh, we adopted our son through foster care. Uh, He was adopted. We adopted him when he was five. And, um, you know, it's interesting being a foster parent. Um, The challenges are pretty significant. And the things that you learn about other human beings are sometimes or often really tough. Um, There are definitely things in my brain that were not there before. And I wish they were not there ever. Mm. Um, But to be able to be a part of someone's story, whether it's um, helping them be reunified with their birth parents, which is absolutely the goal and should be the goal, um, that is the hardest thing that we've ever done and also the best thing we've ever done and something that we are just tremendously 
proud of that we've done that as a family um, to be able to help these families navigate whatever the challenges are that they were experiencing and and come back together as a family. Um, so, yeah, we we really um, are really glad that that we have been involved in foster care. I've heard from several um, foster families that when that reunification happens, that family tends to use the foster family as a, as a resource, as a mentor to continue to work, to get better. Is Did you see that? Have you seen that in your case? You know, we have not experienced that, but I would say that is certainly something that does happen sometimes, but it just depends on the comfort level of everyone involved. And so we've, we have been able to love children where we never met their birth parents in person. Um, and then we have loved children where we did have a relationship with their birth parents, and, and each of those experiences were very different, just kind of based on what the situ- situation was and and how we could best support. Um, and, um, you know, ultimately our job is to provide for the child and make sure that they are um, safe and cared for and getting all the needs that they have met. Um while their parents are working out what they need to work out. And so sometimes you're involved and sometimes you are not. Um, but if you are not comfortable being involved, it's okay. You can still be a foster parent and should certainly still look into it. Um, I don't know that anyone will be forced into that kind of relationship, but it's certainly an option with some situations. Mm. I think throughout my learning in this foster space, it's, I think the thing that keeps coming to my mind over and over again through through listening to people's experiences is this is such a human endeavor mm. and there is no one answer there's no one way mm-hmm. there's no one personality or or experience and i i just think um i just have grown to truly appreciate um people like you and your family for the work that you do and for the love and 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 joy that you provide to that to that child or those children because selfishly i i think i think how i, I don't want my heart ripped out when that child goes back mm-hmm. and people like <clears throat> you say bring it on mm-hmm. i'm going to love them anyway yeah well, your heart certainly gets ripped apart, but uh, there's a very wise person that has a very beautiful quote that I cannot quote right now, um, but it's <laughs> something about um, when your heart breaks, it just allows it to open and be available for more love and, mm-hmm. and growth. And so I really believe that um, it is not easy. N- no part of it is easy, but the reward is greater than the challenge and, you know, this is human beings we're talking about. And everyone deserves to be loved and cared for. And um, kids are incredibly resilient. Uh, you know, the things that my son has overcome are, it's just, you know, he amazes me every day and has, you know, for 12 years since the day we adopted him. And, um, has taught me so much about love and 
having a good attitude and, you know, not allowing something to be an obstacle, but rather um, facing it as um, a challenge and just taking it head on and figuring it out, you know, and um, there are many, many times where the experience was wearing on me and it was hard, but his example and his strength was like, well, okay, I am in the adult in this situation. Like I can't, I can't, I don't need a nap when he doesn't need a nap. Like look at all the work (laughs) he's putting in, you know? And so um, he definitely inspires me and, and all the kids that we have been able to love um, and will just love forever, um, have just given so much to me. So it, you know, your heart certainly breaks, but it's, it, it breaks in a way that's very special and very beautiful. That's incredible. Um, of course we also met, I think we first met, um, doing another incredibly big hearted endeavor, (laughs) (laughs) you doing the work. Um, you have been deeply involved in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, where does that stem from? Where where did you first, you know, develop a, a, a feeling of responsibility there or a feeling of mm-hmm. advocacy there? And what, what precipitated that work? Mm-hmm. You know, um, probably, I don't know, 12 or 14 years ago, I just kind of had this this realization that I had a lot of human beings working for me that had stories very different than mine and um, that I just really didn't know how to best show up for them. Uh, and I decided to ask them the question, really, how do you like to be cared for? How do you like to be loved? And I am a believer that if a human being tells you how they like to be loved and cared for, that that's the answer. And just because it's not the same as mine does not mean that that it is wrong. Of, of course, it's, it's right. Um, and I don't want anyone telling me um, how I should like to be cared for, you know. And so I started asking those questions and learned that um, – honestly learned that there was a lot I needed to learn about the LGBTQ plus community that I just absolutely did not know and couldn't know unless I was intentional about learning from them and asking them those kinds of questions. How do I show up for you? How do I make this a safe space for you? And um, a lot of that came from really traumatic experiences where I would have an employee that was experiencing um suicidal ideation or, um, you know, severe depression or anxiety or would come to me with um, with different things that they didn't feel safe sharing with another adult. And I did not know how to handle that. I didn't know how to show up for them. And so I just kind of started this, this pathway of seeking that information um, so that I could, so that I could show up for people the way they needed me to. And um, it's a journey that I am so thankful for. Um, the LGBTQ plus community is without question, you know, the most loving, delightful, um, compassionate group of humans that I know and have been 
just such great influencers in my growth as a leader and, um, you know, just as an example of how to treat other people with kindness. And so I uh, just got started on that journey and started getting involved in different organizations and, and learning more about why family acceptance is so important and learning about things that um, that are accepting behaviors and um, how I can show that in the workspace, in my children's friends, in my own friends, in our own family. And um, probably, I don't know, seven or eight years into my journey, my oldest daughter came out. My oldest daughter is lesbian. And um, I was really thankful that I started that journey when I did because I was much more prepared to show up for her. Now, have I screwed things up? Yes. Like, I am not. <laughs> because you're a parent and <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> yes. So I just got to throw that in there so that when my daughter's listening to this and she's like, well, come on, mom. Like, I, I certainly have, have done some things that I'm like, oh, okay, that was not good. Like, I certainly, and, and I'm sure that I have so much more to learn. Um, but that is the coolest thing to me about not just the LGBTQ plus community, but all human beings is that differences in each other aren't something to be afraid of. They're not something for us to be um, avoiding Avoiding of. They are things for us to get to learn about each other and then get to celebrate in each other. And it's been very fun and, and special. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I hope that I um, continue to learn, you know, great things and, and, um, have just really enjoyed that journey for sure. Yeah. You have been an example to me. I mean, I think we first met when we were, it's probably when you were working on love loud. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we, we came and, and participated in that. And, um, so tell me a little bit about some of the other work that you do in this space. Sure. You know, I just, I would like to think of myself as maybe a connector. Mm. So um, I really have always had a heart for people in need or where there's struggle or maybe where someone's voice isn't being listened to and they need some help amplifying it. That is something I'm drawn to and something that I feel very called to be involved in. I just, it's just part of my being. It's how I get out of bed every morning. And, and I just like to be involved in that. And so, um, and circle is a really great organization that I learned about early on, um, that, um, you know, they are an LGBTQ plus, um, youth and family resource center. And I, I love their motto, no sides, only love. I love that their goal is to keep the family unit together and to educate and then provide therapy um, for anyone that needs it, that is a part of this journey and um, got involved within circle and then got involved with love loud where you and I met um, and um, just really appreciated uh, Love Loud's um, goal of, you know, raising money for LGBTQ plus organizations and then also just spreading the message that, you know, we, we are all in this life together and it, it actually 
isn't as complex as maybe some of us make it that that loving each other um is is really fun and beautiful and have enjoyed them um I've enjoyed working with the Pride Center the Utah Pride Center and Equality Utah I think Equality Utah does some great work to make sure that the underrepresented um of Utah they they work hard to make sure they get that representation and and I've appreciated the work that they do and the relationships and bridges that they build and um love so much that Equality Utah um just you know Troy Williams their executive director says you know we are not an organization that will have enemies we, you know we are going to meet people where where they are and um this needs to be a safe space for everyone to ask questions and learn and you know the point is to to educate and and um have everyone you know be part of the conversation and and so i love the work that they do and um you know i just kind of bop in and bop out and 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 help where i can and and um you know don't certainly don't serve any formal role um but really enjoy volunteering and and when there's a need i love the challenge and get to work so it's amazing and um so that's not all folks she's does even more work <laughs> in other spaces and other incredible um, ways that she serves. And we're going to talk about those when we come right back. Becky Pickle is here talking to us about the things that she's passionate about and a lot of ways um, those intersect with what we're doing. You've, uh, Becky, you talked about showing up uh, for our, our friends in um, the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I'm glad you said show up. That's part of our initiative as First Lady. <laughs> but specifically, how do we show up? Um, what are some concrete ways to show up for, for our friends in that space? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a lot of what they tell me and, and a lot of uh, research um, also points to, first of all, just asking and and um, not assuming that we know Um Certainly, every human being is their own individual. And so I think that, you know, if you know one human being that is transgender and another human being that is transgender, um, some of the things that they tell you might not be similar. And that's okay. I mean, you know, we're all humans and we all need, you know, different kinds of of things. And and so I think always asking and not assuming that, you know, um, for me, that's a first step. Um and then I think um, speaking openly about um, if, it, if it's your child or um, an employee or a neighbor or a friend, just speaking openly about their LGBTQ plus identity. Um, I think often, you know, those of us that are not on the LGBTQ plus spectrum f- shy away from, from saying that because Maybe we feel like we don't know enough or, or whatever, but it's very important to acknowledge who they are as, as human beings. And and, and um, so speaking to that, um, and I think also, um, you know, welcoming your, if you have children, you know, welcoming their LGBTQ plus friends to your home and telling them this is a safe space for you. Um I'm open to learning. I know I have a lot to learn. What do you feel like is important for me to know? 
Mm. How can I show up for you? How can I make this a safe space for you? Um, and that goes back again just to the not assuming, but um, you know, it's a journey for many people, and um, depending on what stage of that journey they're in, will will define the answer that they give you. And so, don't assume that that doing one specific thing might make them feel safe. It might end up just being something that is that is not accurate, and and we shouldn't assume. Um, and then two, I think just standing up for others when they're mistreated um, because of their LGBTQ plus identity. Um, I think that's important. And we don't need to know all the answers, but we certainly should know that one tr- human being treating another poorly um, because of who they are is 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 just not OK. And um, standing up for them and, and, and showing them that you care about them. Is, is really important. So those are just a, a few things. And, and then, of course, requiring the people in your circle to respect your child. If you have a child that's LGBTQ plus or a family member, requiring other people in your family or your friend circle, your inner circle, to treat them with love and respect. And um, that that is very important. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those are just some things that might be really helpful. That's perfect. Let me ask you this. Um I've talked on this uh, podcast before about uh, I have a son that's really, I feel like, could be your kindred spirit. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. He just has this super empathetic heart. He mm-hmm. has this passion for people that he feels has, has been marginalized, have been marginalized. Um, and we have lots of conversations and a lot of them surround me trying to help him not get so angry or embittered towards people who maybe are either cruel to to the folks that he feels are being marginalized or or that he has you know this deep heart for mm. um how do you do that how do you personally you're involved in so many areas where where you're you're helping marginalized communities or traditionally marginalized communities mm-hmm. have a voice, but you're you have to see this. You have to see people the cruelty. I mean, you're hearing stories mm-hmm. from your from your daughter, from her friends, from your employees, or you know, in in all these other areas that you're working in, you've got to be hearing the stories of folks that don't get it or don't understand and not only don't understand but just are cruel mm-hmm. how do you personally handle that how do you take care of your own spirit mm-hmm. you know um that is such a good question and um i think i you know i wish i had one answer that would apply to every one of those situations i don't but i do think it's important to approach it you know a case-by-case situation and do the, you know, I try to do the best I can to remember where that person is coming from. How were they raised? What was the environment that they were raised in? What is it that they were taught? So a lot of these behaviors are taught and a lot of these behaviors are fear-based. And um, when people are afraid, 
we don't act really great sometimes. <laughs> and um, we all do it. None of us are exempt from just really poor behavior sometimes. And so I try to have compassion for all people and remember that, you know, ugliness and bullying and, um, you know, hateful comments often come from a place of hurt or pain from the person dishing it out mm-hmm. and do my best to remember that, but also try to carefully and gently meet them wherever they are and patiently um, ask questions and listen, but also um, try to help people understand that their experience is not everyone's experience. Mm. And so it is not easy. I, I don't think that I've had a successful outcome in every one of those situations. And there's certainly times where I just know that I cannot engage, that it is not healthy and there will not be an outcome that is positive. Um, And I think it's okay for us to do that sometimes and just say, you know what, that is not something that I'm going to be able to fix. And I just, I, it won't be healthy to engage, but I think it is important for us to stand up for, um, others whenever we can and um, be very patient because, you know, I don't respond well when people are being mean to me or telling me um, that I, you know, don't know anything or don't know what I'm talking about. And so I don't know that another human would respond to me giving that back. Mm-hmm. And so um, I I really love what you talk about, Abby, like, Uh, being proximate, I think proximity changes everything. And when you and I are face to face, the connection that we have as human beings is real and we can't avoid it. And when we are keyboard warriors, we don't have that proximity that creates the human empathy that we all need to disagree amicably or be willing to invest in each other emotionally or will be willing to learn from each other. It, that space just isn't ever going to be real. You know, the social media space is not going to be where any argument can ever be won. Um, And so I think proximity is an important part of our human connection. That's perfect. Thank you for your thoughts on that. Um, And again, you, this does keep going. You have this incredible (laughs) resume Mm -hmm. of helping folks and um, so last week we talked to Pamela Atkinson about her thoughts on on the state of, of those experiencing homelessness in, in Utah. And you've been incredibly involved. Um, you are currently, correct me if I'm wrong, currently the chair of the Board of Trustees for the Road Home. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yep. And um, so what inspired this work <laughs> that you do? You know, first of all, I have to say... Pamela, like, come on. Right. There is not, there is just not a better human Saint being. Saint Pamela. Yeah. There, there's a reason we call her the Mother Teresa of Utah. Um, she lives that out every day. And um, boy, I just really admire her and um, aspire to be like her. Um, I got into this, I got involved in this really because of my son's experience and other kids experiencing. Um, complex trauma and such of 
homelessness, um, kids that we got to be the foster parents for. And I didn't really know a lot about people experiencing homelessness until I became a foster parent. And um, when we adopted our son and um, kind of stopped um, taking in any additional children for a little while while we were working through, you know, the things, the different kinds of support that he needed, I still felt really called to be involved and felt like homeless services was where I needed to show up. And so I showed up and um, I started by doing play groups with kids at our Midvale Family Resource Center um, and literally bawled my eyes out every time the whole way home. Uh, they are they were just the sweetest, most lovely children like ever. And um, then started doing a teen group, um, started doing a, a mother's group, um, and um, really just got to know their stories and um, was just so inspired by their lives and their strength. And um, people experiencing homelessness are not, if, if you don't know much about homeless services, um I think that as a society, we we presume certain things and it's just really wildly inaccurate. And um, that was a good education experience for me and just continued to become more and more involved and knew I needed to continue to help. And, you know, I just I just think as human beings that if, if we are exposed to a need of another human, that we need to show up any way we can. And it might be a hug. It might be we listen. It might be write a letter. It might be money. It might be food. We all can show up in some way. When we see another human being hurting for whatever reason, I just believe that's a responsibility we all have for each other. And there's so many people that have shown up for me. And and so, yeah, I mean, here we are. And And I really enjoy being a part of it. It is incredibly challenging. Um but I don't I can't think of a better way to be spending my, my volunteer time. Yeah, I it's I think once you experience again, if you get proximate, um, we were you know, talking to Pamela when we were first uh, when Spencer first became the lieutenant governor. And, mm-hmm. you know, she obviously is so inspirational and you can't help but say, I need to do better anytime you're around mm-hmm. her. And I remember one of the first things that we decided to do was have a, a little reading night at the uh, Midvale Center. Mm-hmm. And so my kids, I, I just, again, wanted my kids to see, I mean, we live in San Pete County. We don't have, I mean, it's very um, low socioeconomic um, status for a lot of people, but really don't see a lot of homelessness per mm-hmm. se. And so just weren't exposed to that. Um, not, you know, again, just didn't get proximate. So when we did that, I, my kids had such an incredible experience in a good way, but they were, it, it hurts sometimes. Mm-hmm. It hurts to watch that mm-hmm. and to see and say, what can I do? And sometimes the problems look so big mm-hmm. that, and I'm sure you feel this way too. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us, not you, <laughs> get paralyzed by that mm-hmm. and say, I just, I can't, 
I can't do it. I can't do it all. I can't fix it. So it's just easier to back off. What, what stops you from doing that? Gosh, I, you know, I don't know. I, maybe there's something wrong with me and I need to stop. (laughs) I don't know. There's something really right with you. Um, I, I don't know that I can even explain it. I just, um, I just feel very pulled, pulled into it and feel like I need to help. And, and there are certainly many, many days where I'm like, am I even making any difference? And you know what? There are days that I don't, you know, and, and that's just how it is. And there's so many different pieces of legislation we've tried and so many different funding paths we've tried and, and, you know, homelessness is complex. And so the solution is going to be complex. It's not fast. It's not going to be solved with one idea. And so I just have to keep remembering that. But, you know, the staff that I get to work with at the road home is just the best of the best human beings. You know, the things that they figure out and, and, you know, their trauma-informed care and the way they can de-escalate someone experiencing what is absolutely the worst day of their lives. Um, It is moving and special. And I'm just really thankful that I get to witness that. Um, But those kids, you know, they just, they just break my heart. You know, the, the trauma that kids experience when they, um, go through homelessness, um, that, that PTSD that they carry with them, it impacts everything about their future. And so they're worth fighting for. And um, the, the human beings that, that, you know, it's just, it's just much more human when, than what we sometimes see on TV. And um, I had one experience where um, when the road home was at the downtown shelter location um, before we moved into the new resource centers, I was walking to the shelter and um, there was a gentleman that was sitting on the sidewalk and um, I just felt like I needed to say hello to him. And I I said, hello. And um, he kind of looked up at me and um, immediately smiled and said, why are you talking to me? I said, oh, I just thought I'd say hello and check in with you and, and see how you're doing. And um he sat up and I knelt down and we chatted for a few minutes. And then um, he said, you know, you're the first person that has looked me in the eye in years. And um, that was just so crushing for me that, you know, he was just craving human connection and hadn't had someone else just make eye contact with him. And that me making eye contact was very, was that special and significant for him was, you know, incredibly challenging. And that's why I keep showing up is because they're human beings that need to be loved. And us showing up is going to look very different depending on who we are. Um, And that's okay. You don't need to be a millionaire. You don't need to own a business. You don't need to be a parent. Um, You don't need to have any specific education. There are so many different ways for each of us to show up and, um, and it is going to take all of us. You know, these are human beings. I, we, the road home, we helped 127 veterans into housing just last year. 
And I asked myself, why do we have so many veterans experiencing homelessness? That is not, it's not okay. So when you learn about it and you know better, you have to do better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, We want to continue this conversation. We'll be right back. We are here with Becky Pickle and we are continuing our conversation about um, all the advocacy work and the nonprofit work that, that you've been doing. And it's just, it's been very inspiring. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people and probably a lot of our listeners that think, Hey, I'm passionate about this or, or I feel really strongly about this. What advice would you give people that want to start advocating and being a part of their community more? Mm. Well, um, first of all, that is awesome that you're recognizing that you want to help or be engaged somewhere. And I would say, don't be intimidated. Um, The really great news for a lot of us is that there are experts in all of these fields and you showing up does not require you to be an expert. And actually, it's traditionally better to show up and ask the expert how you can help. So um, in in the world of, of homeless services, you know, uh, homelessness is such a complex issue and, and it's caused by all kinds of things, you know, lack of um, mental health care, um, a, a large health event, domestic violence, lack of affordable child care. And then, you know, we are certainly experiencing a large housing crisis yeah. here in Utah. So if you aren't in any of those spaces or have an education in those spaces or working in those spaces, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be involved. Um, show up and ask those experts. You know, the homeless service providers in the state of Utah are exceptional. And, um, you know, at the Road Home, we utilize thousands and thousands of volunteer hours every year. And it really is, you know, key to our being able to serve the people that we serve. And so, you know, we will teach you um, we'll show you our partners at uh, Volunteers of America Utah um, are are incredible and um, run um, just great resource centers and and I know we'll do the same and and there are so many different providers that will welcome you in and teach you so so showing up is the first step um, and don't don't be afraid like you you don't need to be the expert i certainly am not and was not um when i stepped into these spaces and i just have the pleasure of continuing to learn every day and um so if you feel like you want to help show up and and don't come into the space with you know here's what we need to do but rather how can i help and you'll be great that's perfect. I, you know, we spent some time at one of the resource centers recently with the governor's cabinet and our, his senior staff. We did, um, you know, we put together some kits for homeless youth, mm-hmm. and we were talking to, we took a tour and and talking to folks. And one of the things they said, which I thought was so cool, is like we we are always looking for opportunities to serve. I think Utah. Well, I know Utah is is very service oriented. We are always number one in volunteerism and number one in charitable giving every year, and it's not even close. And so, but I think learning the most effective ways to serve mm-hmm. is is really great. And and you know when we were touring that, they were talking about how you know we need folks every day 
here mm-hmm. to serve uh, meals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we always think about Christmas time and, and Pamela talked to, to us about our fits of charity around Christmas time, but really having the need that is ongoing all year and addressing that and just really having that in our mind instead of just thinking about it maybe once in a while or once at Christmas time or whenever it is. Mm-hmm. I think knowing those that there's a need there every time. That was really eye-opening to me to say that they're literally serving meals every day. Sure. Yeah, you know, when when the pandemic started, that was one of a, a one of many challenges that we experienced, but you know, we serve thousands of meals every meal every day. And um that's we're just talking about Salt Lake County, you know. And so um the need, you know, you think about what do I need as a human being and, and the needs are no different um, for someone experiencing homelessness, um, but the resources for them are often much harder to come by. And so um, there's so many ways for you to show up. And, you know, the roadhome.org has a really great page on how to volunteer, um, whether it's donating money or your resources, your time, your talents, partnering with us with your business your church group, your sports team. I mean, there's so many different ways. Um, and all of our partner organizations need that support as well. And so um, going to the going to the roadhome.org or other partner organizations' websites, you'll find that information. Um, but you're right. It, the need just is not just at Christmas, and it's not just when it's cold outside. Um, and so, um, yeah, it would be great to have people jump in. That's perfect. Um, before we wrap up here, I just want to ask you what I like to ask my guests is um, because you you just have a beautiful life with with amazing um, connections and and what you're doing is just so inspiring. Um, tell me what is a snapshot of an ordinary moment that gives you true joy? An ordinary moment. You know, there's just a lot. <laughs> um, I, you know, I really enjoy experiencing other human beings that are living their authentic lives and doing exactly what they were put here to do. I, that is intoxicating to me. And people that are um, living out their purpose or, you know, their life goal and just owning it proudly. I think that is super special. And I love, I think those people are shiny, you know, (laughs) I, I love getting to, to see those shiny people. And, um, um, I really admire that. And so that is a joyous snapshot for me and the not so glamorous, joyous snapshot for me would probably be at home in my garden with my hands covered in dirt and, um, you know, thinking about my tomatoes that are going to be ripe in like four or five days. <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. You know? <laughs> I may have to come over and get some because I didn't even plant a garden in Fairview. We don't have we didn't have water and I'm not mm. going to be there. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> like a tomato is is like my happy thing in the summer. I love them so much. <laughs> they are little gifts. Yep. So true. Yes, please do. Uh, Becky, this has been so fantastic and you are just a kindred spirit and I'm so happy that you took the time to be here with us today. We're, we're grateful for your presence and all the work that you are doing and all the things that you're accomplishing. So thank you for being here today. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Becky Pickle for being my guest today. We want to shout out some of the organizations she's involved in, theroadhome.org, encircletogether.org, utahpridecenter.org, and equalityutah.org. Thanks for being a friend.